Do you want to chat about anything ahead of time or just dive in? What would we chat about ahead of time since we're recording right now? Well, Tom can, we can say, and now start the show, Tom. Or this could just be the start. Do it live. Yeah. Sometimes I talk about things before the show starts and then I'm like, actually, let's just include that. But I don't Mm. actually know if he does because I never listen to the podcast. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Chad. And we're going to be talking about... The things we manage at ThoughtBot. Kind of. I guess, yeah. Technically, you manage all of ThoughtBot, so that covers it. Uh, So I was looking, and you were last on the podcast, episode 153, July of 2015. That's when I was on as a guest. Correct. I was on after that, hosting an episode. Yep. While you were on vacation or something. Yep. True. But in the in the guest chair, in the hot seat, it's been 52 episodes or so. Yeah, and it was last July 2015. So it's almost exactly a year. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole point of that episode was a year in review. Right. Is that what we're going to do this time? Uh, I mean, if it is, it's going to be from memory. Because <laughs> okay. last time we, we put together a lot of notes ahead of time. And I was like, what happened this year? Mm-hmm. I basically went back through the blog last time and just saw what we announced. Have we announced as many things? Are we slipping, Ben? We, we might be. We might be. I looked we at the haven't list launched from, any new products. I looked at the list from 2015, It was or from the last time. It was impressive. I don't know if we would have as much stuff to show this time. I have glasses. I wear glasses now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old. Yeah, I think we all are. I'm, I'm actually really curious to see what happens to ThoughtBot as the average age moves up mm-hmm. and like people's priorities and thoughts and all that change it's like mike mike burns once described he said thoughtbot is now less punk (laughs) (laughs) which makes sense because like when he started it was what like 12 people in a kind of crappy office yeah it wasn't the crappiest though oh no for sure we've had crappier (laughs) yeah so chris uh had his last episode last time last week in viewer world I wanted to have you on as a kind of bridge person, and then uh, I'm going to talk about the next V3 of Giant Robots at the end. Um, V3? But, yeah. I'm calling it V3. <laughs> Does that actually add up? Yeah, I Were think there so. Two, are you, was there a V0? Uh, no. Okay. So I'm calling V1, uh, Ben interviews people. Okay. V2, Chris and Ben talk about stuff, mm-hmm. and then V3 is coming up. Okay. Um, so I have a, a, a person, I have a thing. Things are confirmed for V3, so I can talk about it now. Let's just talk about it now. Don't, or okay. do you want to tease and then follow up at the end? That's what I was thinking, but we okay, can, we can get into it. That's fine. Uh, all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll save it. So <laughs> you're going to be so excited <laughs> when we talk about it at the end of the episode. For sure. Uh, but now let's bring the mood down. <laughs> so something without precedent, I believe has happened, uh, in the last couple of weeks. And I thought I would bring you on to talk about it because we tend to work in the open and transparently. So I thought it'd be interesting to uh, discuss it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to maybe just kind of lay out a timeline of the last couple of weeks and what happened? Yeah. So um, over the last four years, we have grown from 19 people just in Boston to 10 offices with 115 people. But as of this week, we are six offices with about 100 people. Mm-hmm. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we ended up closing our Denver, Portland, and Stockholm offices and unfortunately letting all of the people go who were in those offices. 
and it was very, very difficult to do that. And we lost a lot of really great people, but unfortunately it was necessary to do it to avoid going into a financial crisis that we couldn't recover from and potentially all of ThoughtBot being shut down eventually. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what happened in a nutshell, but you don't have locations fail suddenly. It was really something that, you know, we were working on all of those investments in new locations for a long time. And for the most part, things started out really well when we were opening the new offices, but the we were really relying on a, a significant portion of the work in those offices to come from the local market. And we just weren't able to make that happen at the, the level that we wanted or needed to be able to support the teams there. Mm-hmm. And so we started to get into, so they they were running unprofitably and we started to get into a sort of negative cycle too where it was causing other locations to be held back or be unprofitable because one, be held back because really you know, successful New York location can't hire people because nine people aren't working in another city, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yet we can't necessarily put those people to work on every one of those projects because they are remote and a lot of our projects do need people working face-to-face with customers. Yeah. Or for example, we could end up in a scenario where because we had a bunch of people available in a city, what would normally happen is say a project comes into San Francisco and we have nobody available in San Francisco. We say, okay, we have no one available now, but we have people available in two or three weeks. We'd love to work with you. You want to work with us. By the time we get contract and everything done, it's really not waiting that long. So we'll be able to start a project in in three weeks. Mm -hmm. When we had a bunch of people available, I think what was happening or what ended up happening is it no longer became, you know, we'll start in three weeks. Um, It is, well, we have a team in Denver available right now. So we started on the project with the team in Denver right then. Mm. But then in three weeks, when those people in San Francisco became available, there wasn't necessarily work for them to work on. And so that's what I mean by sort of a cycle of unprofitability. Then both Denver was unprofitable and we were getting to a point where like San Francisco might be unprofitable because they didn't have work lined up next. Mm -hmm. Or they did, but it had been put into Denver. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a little into the weeds there, but um, we were going to be in trouble. So it required to make a very um, pretty dramatic shift in order to avoid being in significant trouble um, a couple months from now. Mm -hmm. So you're right, it's never happened before. We've we've had to let people go before, but the two scenarios where that happened was, you know, where they weren't a good fit or something wasn't working or something had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one scenario. The other is a long time ago when we stopped doing technical support for computers and selling computers and that kind of thing. Because in our first couple of years, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. There there was a point where we decided to stop doing that. And there we had one person who was a full-time tech support and um, computer setup person. 
Mm-hmm. And so we did let that person go. But it was a, a little bit of a different scenario in that one of the reasons why we were stopping that part of the business was because the rest of ThoughtBot was so successful. It didn't make sense to do that anymore. And we wanted to focus just on web app development. Yep. I was actually out of the office when this got announced mm-hmm. generally, but I got the impression that you basically spent the day in a conference room making painful phone calls. Yeah, I talked to everybody individually, and in the cases where it was a significant number of people in one office, I I did a group chat with them, told them the news, and then to the extent I was able to immediately do a one-on-one with each person. Mm. It wasn't just those three locations that we needed to stop. We also needed to, we were having trouble staffing the people who were just in a new offices or remote Mm-hmm. And so we had um, uh, three people that also needed to be let go that were in those scenarios. And two of them were in Asia. So mm-hmm. uh, the call started um, Sunday night and then um, went to bed late on Sunday and got up really early at 530 in the morning mm-hmm. to talk to Stockholm and then start and then went through the day talking to people. Mm-hmm. Was that one of the tougher days you've had? It was probably the toughest day that yeah. I've had at work. Yeah. It was really, really difficult. I wouldn't have been able to get through it if it weren't for that there was really no alternative. Mm-hmm. So there was a certain finality to it that at the end, I, I knew it was the right thing to do and it just had to happen. Mm-hmm. So I just needed to push through and, ma- and do it. Mm-hmm. The other is that the people that were in offices that were closing, some of them were surprised, but there was very few people who were truly surprised. Yeah. And so that made it a little bit easier than it would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because I heard a lot of, and just in the case that I, I was, super disappointed. I'm super disappointed, but I understand and I'm not surprised. And yeah. that made it at least possible to get through and to have so many conversations and to it's a, was a very I'm a little past it now yeah but it was very emotional I'm sure um, so if there wasn't that understanding and trust from the team um, and the need to do it I don't think I could have made it through yeah I've been involved in letting one person go and just that was like pretty painful mm-hmm. so I imagine just a full day of that is pretty rough yeah. I think, like you said, the fact that it was a kind of do or die thing, like we have to do this lest the whole company potentially fold, mm-hmm. probably helps. It's not just like, hey, we want more profit or like, hey, we're doing our annual right. calling or, you know, stack ranking or whatever. Right. But still probably not easy at all. Right. I was t- I was talking to a friend about this when it happened and she was like, oh, yeah, we have layoffs every year. Yeah. I was like, wow, like what a unfortunate environment to be in i mean this isn't the first time where we've had financial troubles right but it was the first time where we needed to let people go because of it Mm -hmm. it was also the first time where we ever looked at the information that we had and it was very clear what was going to happen Mm -hmm. and it would be unrecoverable if we let it happen Mm -hmm. short of like something impossible happening like we looked at the numbers and said is it even possible that this could turn itself around 
and it wasn't. And in every other case, it was possible to convince ourselves that, or we we were able to look at the numbers and say, we can recover from this. So let's work together as a team. Let's sound the alarm. Let's, you know, pull it together and try to make something happen. Mm -hmm. This was a different circumstance. It required a different action than we've ever had to do before. I can't imagine being in an environment where that this is a tool that you have that you just regularly do. Right. And... I know that there are places that do like to maintain a certain profit margin Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. And we've never made decisions based on maximizing profitability. Mm -hmm. So that's not what this was about. This was about the same thing that we've always made decisions by. This is like, we plan on doing this forever. We're maximizing for being existing and being happy in our work. And, that also means that we operate typically with a very small margin, which in cases like this is what makes it a little bit difficult. Like when, Because we typically spend most of our profits on the team itself and benefits that we have, because we operate with a small profit margin typically, our, our literally margin of error is very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't have a—we've uh, been very fortunate for the last 13 years— that we've been able to make that work really well and not have to let people go when there's a slight downturn in the economy or when sales quite aren't quite there. But the size that we are now, we let go on for, you know, and I, it's my mistake. We let the situation go on for too long hmm. where the offices that were shut down were operating unprofitably for too long. Mm-hmm. And so in retrospect, one of the offices or one or more of the offices probably should have been shut down a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But because it's so hard and so final and the offices are full of great people who do great work, uh, it was almost like we couldn't bring ourselves to do that until it was so dire that they all needed to go. And we couldn't because the alternative would have been what? Like talking to Stockholm and saying, well, we have to shut you down because you've had long enough. And then the problem is not really still fixed. So then like, we're still operating unprofitably in Denver and like, they just know they're next on the chopping block. Like that's not going to be a motivating experience for anybody. Right. So believe me, I've, you know, ran it through my head both in, in advance of this scenario, but then after like, what are the things that we could have done differently? What decisions could we have made differently? And I think that's the biggest mistake is having let it go on for so long, it became almost impossible to correct it mm. without letting it go so so that it needed to be corrected everywhere at once. Mm. Do you view the initial uh, opening of those offices also as potentially a mistake? Or was that like, were, do you think of those as experiments that we should have run? Well, it's easy to look back now and say that it was was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Early results in each of the locations was v- actually really positive. So it's hard to say we shouldn't have done that. But knowing what we know now, I think it's easy to make the argument that 
if maybe not that we shouldn't have done it, but that we shouldn't have hired a certain, you know, a certain number of people when we hired them, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's possible we could have not been fooled by the early results and instead been really much more lean than we were. And if it wasn't a problem across three offices with 15 people, but instead was a problem with three offices with six people, mm -hmm. it would have been easier for the rest of ThoughtBot to support that investment. Mm -hmm. And instead it was not possible for ThoughtBot to support the investment that those offices were going to need in order to keep on running mm -hmm. with the teams that they had. Hmm. This seems like one of those tough parts of consulting businesses, mm -hmm. which is do you hire in advance of work or not? And was there a shift in strategy? Like, it, it feels to me like there was a shift, I think, but I'm not sure, where it felt like we used to sort of have this idea of like, we shouldn't hire more people until there is work. Like, we'd rather have everyone be fully booked and be like, oh man, we need more people because there's more work coming in. Whereas the offices felt more opportunistic, like we think there's a market there. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and open them and hire some people and then try to and make the work happen after that. Was that a, sh a change or, or am I misremembering? No, I think it was. A, I think it was a change. I can't point to a specific point at which it changed. Mm -hmm. I think that it was a very organic thing, like when someone's in a new city and they meet someone really great, mm -hmm. it's really easy to say, well, if we had this person, we'd probably be able to get work for them mm -hmm. because they'd meet more people. They would increase the surface area on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, they augment, they fill out the skill set if it's a, if it's a designer and the person starting the office is a developer and they're also just really great. So it's like, why not have them on the team? Mm -hmm. So I don't think there was a specific change in strategy rather it's just San Francisco opened and went well and was done as a very discreet four people are moving to San Francisco. It, it, we have work there. It's a good market. And that went largely fine for the launch of San Francisco. The same time Mike moved to Stockholm and um, it was a different market and it was easy to make sort of the one-off decisions of hiring this next person or you know hiring in advance of the work because early results were positive. Mm -hmm. So it was different but it wasn't a, some grand scheme that we were executing on. It was more just making the best decision we could at each step of the way. Yeah. Making sort of local decisions. Right. The pro I think the that in and of itself wasn't necessarily a problem. I think ultimately what the problem was was then doing it again in another city and then doing it again in another city and another mm -hmm. city. Like when things started to not go our way, it made the problem bigger than we could handle. Mm -hmm. hmm. What did you do after that day where you talked to everybody, like, what, did you do anything special? Did you go home and just hang out with the family or was there anything you did? No, that's all I, uh, that's all I did. Yeah. So, uh, what's, what's the current status? So the current status is this, <laughs> the state of ThoughtBot is strong. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we didn't make this decision lightly and we needed to make it like, you know, five nine certainty that this would fix the problem definitively. Right. So we felt very confident that we had run the numbers and done the projections appropriately. That like the week following when 
these changes have made and we were the the new team size that we would be operating on a go forward basis profitably mm-hmm. and with a with a team that was fully utilized and working well on projects that they largely liked doing so we did that and that's what the situation we're in now mm-hmm. is yeah so yeah so the, the goal was to do this once and not have to like make it kind of okay right yeah yeah and you know as a result that also meant that we had to do things probably a little bit more extreme than anybody wanted. Yeah. But I couldn't put ThoughtBot at risk anymore. I had already, we needed to be sure. Yeah. We needed to be sure. Mm-hmm. So we talked, uh, I talked last week about Chris uh, moving on to consulting, and this was actually the impetus for that in a way. A little bit. I mean, Chris was already talking about rotating That's off true. of projects, yep. uh, products. But this sort of sealed the deal as, well, if we if Chris does this, then we can save a person basically because we can count on the revenue from him going back onto billing. Right, and that was an important. It became an important component of making sure the numbers worked. Yep. But so then the we sort of had a product team of four and a half, I guess, mm-hmm. or, and uh, now it's it's me. Right. So I'm running for keep and upcase at this point, and the Hound team is continuing to do Hound. Uh, so this is kind of a, a new reality for me. Trying to yeah, figure out. and we see that definitely as temporary. Mm-hmm. It, it really is a short-term thing to stabilize things and make sure that, and really came from a position of, well, if we can maximize the time spent from the teams in the locations we're sa- that we're keeping, mm-hmm. maximize the co- consulting work they're doing, then we can count on that revenue and we can save a couple more people. Mm-hmm. So it was a temporary trade-off. Yep. You know, I, you and I have talked about this a little bit, and I think you know who knows where it will end up. But I actually, I think on the other side of this, it's possible that some good will come out of it for how we do products because we're essentially starting from a clean slate now. Yep. We have the successful products in Upcase, Formkeep, and Hound that are revenue generating. And Hound has already has already been working fairly well with the team of people just spending their downtime and investment time on it. Mm-hmm. So if we can figure out ways to make Upcase and Formkeep work well with that sort of part-time team on each, then when it comes time to adding people back to product development, we might not add people back to those products. We mm-hmm. might instead create new things. Mm-hmm. And that'll be up to the team, but I could see that be one thing that comes out of it uh, different. You know, we're starting from a clean slate where nobody is working full-time on one product and feels obligated to then do that more. Yep. It's a little tricky for me with the the additional responsibilities of the products, but at the same time, it is I, I feel some of that benefit too. Like the, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to know that the product revenue greatly exceeds the product costs at this point mm-hmm. uh, so it's like oh we actually we're contributing in a somewhat substantial way now to profitability as opposed to we sort of run neutral ish i guess mm-hmm. uh what because we typically expand when revenue expands we add people right and so it's uh, it's nice to have that margin just in my mind right but at the same time we also all agree that the reason why we do products is so that people can work on products. It's not necessarily because we want to make money from products. Who runs a company like that? <laughs> well, apparently we do. <laughs> it's debatable whether we're good at it anymore. 
it, it, every time I hear you say that, I'm like, it's really cool that that's true. And also, like, are are we crazy? Like, yeah. it's a it's a it's a nice kind of crazy. Yeah. Why aren't you more motivated by profit and money and all that? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't I don't know. I could psychoanalyze. You can psychoanalyze. I've always joked and said like I'm a socialist at heart uh-huh. or something like that. But yeah. I don't know that there is more beyond that. Answer I also question. like you know my I didn't my family was not well off. Mm-hmm. And so I've never really had money. So shouldn't that wouldn't that flip it though? Yeah, you might think that it would. I I don't know. So I I haven't really given it much thought. Yeah. So it might be counterintuitive that that's the case. I don't I don't know. Maybe that in and of itself is is an indicator of why we do that because like it's just not something that I that I worry about. Yeah. What motivates me is being happy on a day-to-day basis, fulfilled in my work, fulfilled in my life, being able to live comfortably but not you know, I, I don't have a lot of wants or desires beyond that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I'm not motivated. I think I'm super driven and motivated. Yep. But I think I'm driven and motivated not just for the money, but for the results. Yeah. It's it's interesting because that actually, like, if you look at the research, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what actually makes people happy. Mm-hmm. It's not the money. Uh, but it's it's like an outlier. It's It's weird that it's weird. Like it's like yeah. given given that fact, people should be more concerned about the impact and about the fulfillment of creating a thing. Yeah, but the money thing still seems to persist anyway. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, I do think that it's led me to make some probably not great decisions in the past, both not only for the company but personally. Like, so so we have a commission policy where. If you directly sell, you know, if you onboard a customer and bring them into ThoughtBot as a customer, you get commission on that. And we don't have salespeople and we only have designers and developers. And so having the commission policy is a reward system for the designers and developers to do that. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, I didn't take commission, even though I was doing a significant amount of the sales Hmm. because I felt like it was, uh, you know, that was just part of my job and I needed to be in a position where I'm sharing that with everybody. But in reality, that was like a stupid thing to do. Like, mm. <laughs> and I wasn't making, I don't make a high salary, relatively speaking, to the mm. rest of the team. And so I was basically underpaying myself mm-hmm. for n- no real, I think maybe motivated by like, well, I'm the owner, like I'm a significant shareholder, and like I, there's some upside down the road for me potentially. Yep. But we also say that we're not planning on selling the company or right. going public or anything like that. Right. So, when you add it all up, it made very little sense for me to not take commission when everybody else was getting it. Mm-hmm. And it took me having a kid, and as the real trigger for, oh, I'm responsible for other people now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I need to make sure that I'm taking care of the people and putting myself in a position to be able to really support everything. And yep. it became not just supporting the company by giving that commission back to the company, right? but having another familial unit to support that really triggered taking the commission. Hmm. And it was nice once I started doing it. Sure. So, like, I like money. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, um, 
you know, I have an Apple Watch. That's about the extent. <laughs> That's your luxury purchase. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I, it's. I wonder to what extent that has like shaped the DNA of the company in subtle ways. Like we, you and I talk about, like we have investment time. Or I remember. I remember we were having a discussion about something, and I was like, "Yeah, but if we do that, it won't be very profitable." And you're like, "Thoughtbot's not very profitable." <laughs> you're like, I, mean, look, "I don't care if that if we if it's not super profitable, if it's a good thing to do, and we want to do it, and it's you know rewarding work." Yeah, and I think you know it's it's all a matter of perspective because it's not that we don't have the profit; we do have the profit, but we're reinvest we're spending that profit yep. on ourselves and the company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the difference between gross margin and net margin. Mm-hmm. So we have good gross margin, but we have terrible net margin because we spend our profit yeah. on our people, on our benefits, on the things that we do like investment time, on product development, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Or Amazon. <laughs> yes. All we need to do is turn it on someday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no more Apple or Apple watches for everyone or something. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I th- you know I I thinking about what we were going to talk about on the on the podcast. I knew that we were going to talk about the layoffs and mm-hmm. the office shutdowns and I was hoping that we could talk about other things, but it's such a big <laughs> deal that, <laughs> that it's like impo- and it's such a serious thing and such a sad thing that yeah. it's hard to talk about anything else. Yeah. Well, but um, we can though. We can close yeah. the we can close the chapter on that. What did you hope to cover? Like, Nothing. I couldn't think of anything <laughs> because it's such a big thing. Hmm. Um, now we just kicked off three new product design sprints this week for new people that we're working with, and uh, we have another one starting next week. And it's a really great iOS design backend app, and I'm super excited about it. And so all these things are exciting about, but they like pale in comparison to talking about the other thing. So. Hmm. Well, that's okay. Well, why don't we look towards like the future then? Okay. What do you What do you hope happens with Thoughtbot? Well, I hope Thoughtbot sticks around for a long time, and I'm confident that that's going to happen. And you know, it's it's hard to say I'm proud of what happened because um, I'm not. Like it was a big failure to have to do this, but there is a positive side to being able to look at the situation we're in and navigate out of it successfully Mm -hmm. because, and this is another thing I heard from some of the people being like, oh, it's like they care about ThoughtBot. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, even though they are super disappointed, they would rather ThoughtBot exist and be able to carry on with the good things and the good work and the good people that we have Mm -hmm. and the contributions we make to the community and and all that stuff uh, without them than fail with them yeah and not exist at all so you said you covered existence so Mm -hmm. you hope it's around but my perception is that you're not you don't i don't think you're super satisfied with status quo right as a general rule so if thought we're just doing what it's doing now five years from now i feel like you would see that as a disappointment yeah the first thing is is because we've we've had these offices that have been unprofitable so for so long it has been a big distraction for us mm. dealing with that. So me and the rest of the management team and everyone in those offices and then the people in the other offices that were being held back didn't have the time or bandwidth to really focus on improving what ThoughtBot is, how we work, 
and have good like it was just wasn't possible to get in the mindset of having a discussion about how we do product management when like in the back of my mind that was not the most important thing that I needed to be working on right yeah, then. Yeah. I needed to be figuring out how to stop an office from being shut down. So that's the first thing I think we have some makeup work to do just in terms of like improving ThoughtBot and our work and how we work as a team and the way that we build products. Mm -hmm. And for too long, we haven't been able to really focus on that. Mm -hmm. So we have some, I think, low hanging fruit and then ongoing improvements to make there. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that every, everyone at ThoughtBot cares about that and wants to become great and figure out new ways of becoming even better at product design and development mm -hmm. and working as a team and communication and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we'll be able to, uh, to focus on that in the short term. And eventually, you know, we're running really well now. Um, we have more than enough work. So eventually we will be able to grow again. And so we want to make sure how, that we do that sustainably and in the right ways. And I think it will influence our strategy going forward. It's not necessarily going to be opening a bunch of new offices in new cities unless we are confident that we can have either a person there that can drive sales who has a proven track record of doing it mm -hmm. or uh, you know, so clear that the local market has significant amount of sales that we can go into it and do it hmm. or other th other things that i haven't even discovered yet but we'll discover as a team uh, as terms of different ways of doing it and then also like we have a lot of growth we can do just in the existing offices new york and san francisco specifically could be a little bit bigger based on the work that they've traditionally had mm -hmm. but they weren't because we were specifically not hiring there because of the cities that had people not working hmm. So by not hiring in those places, we were able to push the work to the places that needed it. As you mentioned, that idea of not opening an office until we have someone who can drive sales there, it feels like that same, it's like a different instance of that same kind of common developer fallacy, which is like, if I build a really good software thing, or if I'm a really good developer, like that's enough mm. and I don't need to sell it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to market it. People will just talk about it and things like that. It feels like kind of the other side of that same coin. Yeah, and I I previously had the theory that anyone who was a member of our team, you know, we only have designers and developers, and we tend to be really good communicators, very sort of entrepreneurial-minded, care about building good things and good products and able to communicate with people about them. And the limited set of examples we had showed us that, like, most people at ThoughtBot could have conversations with potential customers and do sales. Mm -hmm. So I had the theory that like pretty much anybody could start an office and it would go pretty well, mm -hmm. including in smaller cities. And that theory has certainly been put to the test. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'll learn from it. It's, it's possible that that is true as long as they're in a city that's big enough that has a significant amount of business. Mm-hmm. It's also possible that it's false and only a certain set of people can just do it without training. And that's another thing that we didn't do is we didn't really provide training to anybody. We just sort of said, like, learn by doing, work with me to do it, learn by mentoring, that kind of thing. Yep. So when it comes time to do it, um, 
we're going to approach it in probably different ways based on what we've learned. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to ask the question like, well, do we want to grow at all? Yeah. Like, and I think it's important to make a distinction what we mean by growing and growth. It is not important on the face of it to grow for the sake of growing. So like part of what was pushing us to grow before was that like we believed we had something good that was a better way of working, a great company to work at, better than most companies, and a great company to work with to build your product. So let's try to bring that to more people because that's our chance to have an impact on the world and Mm -hmm. bring it to more people. Mm -hmm. It wasn't money that was causing us or the desire to have more revenue that's causing us to grow. Yep. So if that's not the motivation for growth and what is the motivation is to bring what we have to more people and that was proven difficult and we sort of failed at that to a certain extent, um, although we're still 100 people across six offices, Mm -hmm. what is growth for us going forward? Like what does it really mean and do we need to do it? And you know, if we want to increase our salaries, that requires us to grow. Mm. And that growth may come from increasing our rates or it may come from other things. But like assuming we all want to increase our salaries um, and continue moving forward in that way, that does require some amount of growth. Yep. You can't just charge the same thing you're charging all the time and magically get more money. Um, you can't be the same size you are. There's something here, at, you know, this is pretty fresh. You know, but there's something here that I think it's probably important not only for us, but for maybe any company to question is like understanding why and how you will actually grow is probably important. And the why, you know, I think it'd be easy for someone at ThoughtBot now to be like, well, screw growth. Like, let's not grow anymore. Like, because mm-hmm. like, I don't want ThoughtBot to fail. And we put ourselves at risk when we, if we, if we grow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, but do you want to get like a raise next year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's got to be some growth from somewhere. Right. And so I think that's an important conversation that we haven't really started to have yet. And mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have it. And like I said, I think that there's something in there and the concept of like why companies grow and what different drivers for growth are. And it could be that like our desire to bring ThoughtBot and our way of working to more people is satisfied not by opening more offices, but instead right. of through things like Upcase. Yep. Increase the reach rather than the footprint. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we accomplished that when we switched from workshops and learn and doing in-person workshops to learn being online and workshops online and then eventually Upcase. Mm-hmm. We went from, you know, doing workshops with 100 people a year to impacting the education and teaching rails when we move the workshops online to something like 300 people that year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that felt great. You know, if that's one of the reasons why we grow, are there ways to accomplish that, that scale a little bit better? Or um, So asking yourself those questions like and figuring out your true motivations, like your first principles, right. might cause you to come upon some other way of accomplishing it. So we'll see. You know, I don't know what the outcome will be, and I think we'll learn it, as we do most things, learn it together as a team. But I think it's at least an important thing to be thinking about going forward. And I think there's probably something there for other companies to think about too. Yeah. 
Well, I've been at ThoughtBot a while, and it's it this this feels like an interesting time. So I think this next phase is going to be kind of interesting to be part of and watch. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. And uh, you'll probably be on the podcast a year from now talking about it. <laughs> at least. At yeah. least, yeah. Is there anything else you want to cover? Anything else on your mind? I want, <laughs> you know, I think part of the reason why one might hesitate to talk about this in this way is like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, th- so Derek on the bike shed uh-huh. makes it, or on Twitter makes a comment about like, how hey, we like Elixir now and it's really good. And that suddenly becomes on Twitter, like ThoughtBot is switching to Elixir. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and that that's not the truth. The truth is we like Elixir. We're using it when we think it makes sense. Yep. And we're still doing a significant amount of work in Ruby. What we are is a product design and development company. That's what we're great at. And mm-hmm. we choose the right tools and based on our interests and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We never bet the company on a specific technology. We never said this is the future and we're using this and we put it on the website. Like we've never done that. Yep. But the narrative becomes ThoughtBot's a Rails company. Right. ThoughtBot's an Elixir company. In the same way, I think companies might have a problem talking about failures in specific offices or with revenue or having to do layoffs. I think it's easy for that narrative to become ThoughtBot's failing Mm. I, I think I heard ThoughtBot shut down, yeah. right? Like, So thinking about how we manage that messaging, we've almost not said much because it's easy if we say like we had this problem and you know some offices got shut down mm-hmm. for that to turn into, well, I heard ThoughtBot went out of business or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's like- Or they're the struggling. Fr- yeah, or they're struggling. And the reality is, is what we did was we avoided that scenario and we did it pretty definitively. And so we're actually in a really good spot right now, all things being considered in terms of like, you know, it would have been great if we didn't lose a bunch of money in the first half of this year. Mm -hmm. But we had safe cash reserves. We're not in a dangerous situation. We we avoided that because it was certainly going to happen. So... I guess that's a, maybe like the one thing I want people to not get misconstrued. And it's one of the reasons why it's a little bit easier to talk about this on the podcast than like make a blog post or whatever, because there's a little bit of nuance. Yep. People can hear tone and, and that kind of thing. And also hopefully I can clarify this point of like ThoughtBot's not going out of business. We're not in trouble. Uh, if you're a subscriber to Upcase, you don't need to worry about like, the, the product or a form keep or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we're standing by these things. We're in a strong position and you don't need to worry about that. Like ThoughtBot's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Cool. Noted. Okay. And if anyone has any questions, they can tweet at you. You can tweet at me. I'm C Pytel on Twitter. Yeah. You can email me. I'm chad at thoughtbot.com. I'm glad we talked about this. I wasn't, sh- I, I figured we would, but I'm just glad to see that we continue the trend of being transparent with things, even when things are not good. Yeah. I think that's a a good place to be. Yeah. And I think it's only been a couple of weeks and we had our company-wide summit last week. So we haven't been able to execute on some of the things we're doing. So like we got to change the location pages on the website to say that the office was shut down. Mm -hmm. We're sorry. And if you want to work with us, get in touch at this place. That's kind of things we haven't really done. So over the next week or so, there'll be a little bit more like it will be obvious that some offices were shut down at ThoughtBot and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Okay. So why don't we talk about V3? 
Yeah. GRV3. Great. So Chris is, has rolled I'm up. taking over the show, everybody. <laughs> oh, this is not... Oh, wow. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, so yeah, Chris has uh, rolled off onto client work, but I'm still doing product work and I want to talk about products. And so the show has already had two styles and I figure why not try a third one because I like change and you never know what you might discover. So for at least a while, the plan is to bring on part-time co-hosts. So for at least the next month, I'm going to be co-hosting the podcast with Derek Reimer, who is a co-founder of Drip, who recently sold the lead pages. Uh, and we're going to talk about, I think the first episode, we're going to spend pretty focused on him because people won't have context about uh, Drip and what he's working on and all that. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But then I want to get a little bit back to that sort of mastermindy type format where we're talking about what we're doing and what our challenges are. But uh, I'm very excited to have an outside voice. Mm -hmm. So Chris and I are kind of steep in the same tradition and I feel like we taught each other the things we know and, and all that. Derek has a whole different set of skills and experiences. Uh, Drip being a very successful company that has been acquired and all that has just a whole different view of the world. So we're going to do at least four and then reevaluate. We may end up stretching that if it's going well for everybody, or I may bring on somebody else and uh, get a new voice or maybe even alternate or something. Who knows? But that's the rough plan for the next month or so. And I'm psyched. I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I think that people generally liked the regularity of the discussion and creating sort of a continuity to the podcast that was missing before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's been positive and bringing on new voices brings it an element of what it, what Giant Robots Smashing Another Giant Robots podcast was before. Mm -hmm. But then maintains the focus on products and the continuity of having a set of co-hosts. Yep. Yeah. And I think I think it'll be good audience-wise too, because there are people that Derek can reach that we're not reaching and vice versa. Like I don't I think deserves more publicity than he gets. Like he's <laughs> he's an interesting guy doing interesting things. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to introduce him to our, our audience. I think you're gonna learn a lot of interesting things from him. So I think it's gonna be one of those nice uh, win-win situations. Well as a listener of the show. I'm mm. looking forward to it. Oh, good. Excellent. Uh, unfortunately, the subscription price is going to go up. <laughs> of the show? Yeah, of the show. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We're going to... Well, you couldn't change prices anymore on Forum Keep, <laughs> exactly. so you're changing prices on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. We're going to festoon it with ads and put it behind a paywall and all kinds of things. Well, if you don't like it, you can go listen to The Bike Shed <laughs> and true. Build Phase and The Lila and Brenda Show. Yeah. And Tentative. Yeah. We have some other good podcasts, so you could listen to those too. Bike Shed's great. I like Bike Shed. Yeah. And they're annoyingly close to our listener numbers, if not a little bit past them sometimes. But I, I have a plan to beat them, and they will be grounded to dust underneath my boot. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You're not motivated by profit. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm motivated by competition. I have to win. Uh, no. Uh, I think that's it. Do you have any parting thoughts? Think about growth. I will. And everyone else shall as well. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom, your mom, Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 206. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.